Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to invite you today to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And again, thank you to everybody for joining us online. Thank you for those who are here in person today. If I have not gotten to meet you yet, because I see some new faces today, if I've not gotten to meet you yet, I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm just grateful that you're here today. It really means a lot to see your faces today. I believe that y'all are joining us for a reason this morning. It's not by mistake. Amen. How many of you know there are no mistakes in the kingdom of God? God's not dumb enough to make a mistake. Amen. He's so smart. I love what my pastor says. He says, God loves me way too much to hurt me, and he's far too wise to make a mistake with my life. Think about that for a second. God loves me way too much to hurt me, and he's far too wise to make a mistake with my life. I don't believe that God makes any mistakes in your life, and I don't believe it's a mistake that you're here this morning. I've got a simple message for us today. I told you to turn to Acts 8, and I didn't turn there, so let me get on the ball here. Acts chapter 8. And the title of my message today is, you're going to like this, I put a lot of thought into this one. The title of my message today is Acts chapter 8. So that's, there you go, Acts chapter 8. So I was trying to, I was sitting there racking my mind trying to think of a good title. I'm like, I got to come up with something catchy. I was like, well, it's the Bible. Why don't I just let the Bible speak for itself? Today we're going to talk from Acts chapter 8. And we're going to begin in verse 4, and we're going to read down through verse 8. I have three points to share with you today. I'll do my best not to take too long so that we can enjoy all the refreshments that have been prepared for us. Hey, today's our seventh anniversary. Yikes. I can remember seven long, seems like long years ago, Abigail, my middle daughter, was in in the carrier. She was so tiny. Claire was like this tall. Sophia wasn't even a thought. She wasn't even here yet. And we started that day in Blowing Rock School, and man, look what the Lord has done. He has brought us to this point. We've seen highs and lows and everything in between, but you know one thing that has remained constant is that God never fails. Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is consistently committed to our success, and that's true for you just as much as it is for me and for our church and for anybody that's willing to believe him. Amen. Anybody that's willing to put their trust in God, he is radically committed to your success. Amen. All right. So Acts chapter eight, we're going to begin reading in verse four down through verse eight. This is one of my favorite passages. Verse four says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and the lame were healed. Watch this. And there was great joy in the city. I love this passage because it just 
demonstrates exactly what God's desire is for his church and for the city that his church is in. As I've been thinking about the coming year, you know, the Lord's been speaking to my heart a lot with new vision for 2021. New vision, but it's old vision at the same time. It's, it's what we've always been believing for, but the Lord gives us new ways to say it and new ways to articulate the vision. And man, I'm just, my heart is bursting with vision for our church for 2021. How many of you will be happy to lay 2020 to bed? When, it, when, when December 31st gets here at midnight and we all, you know, say hallelujah, happy new year, it's going to be a good feeling. It's going to be a good feeling to say goodbye to 2020. I am so excited about the vision that God has for our city, for our community, for our church, and for you personally, for me and my family personally. God is going to do some amazing things in our life And I love this passage because it just points us. It's just such a wonderful reminder of what God desires for cities, for communities, for churches, and for people. There was great joy in that city, verse 8 says. Now, before we take these verses apart, the first thing that I want to make mention of is that this is the story about Philip. We read in verse 4 that it was Philip who went down to Samaria. Do you know who Philip was? just a normal dude, just a normal guy. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't anybody special. He was one of the guys that was chosen as a deacon to serve. If you go back and read in Acts chapter 7, the previous chapter, you'll find he was one of the guys that was chosen to be a servant, to be a deacon in the body of Christ. He wasn't, he didn't have any special powers, okay? That's that's the point I want to make. And that's the first thing we need to clarify is that God loves to use ordinary people like Stephen. God loves to use ordinary people like Quincy. God loves to use ordinary people like Willie, like Robin, like Brian, like Andy. God loves to use ordinary folks to do extraordinary things. Amen? I said Quincy because I knew the three of them would, get, would laugh real hard and they weren't expecting it. So it's great. Amen. But, but it's true. God loves to use ordinary folks just like us, just like you and me, to do extraordinary things. It's one of the things he delights in, is to do extraordinary, supernatural, outrageous, history-altering stuff with just normal, everyday Joes. Aren't you glad for the normal folks that changed history? Amen. Gives me hope. Amen. Gives me hope. I don't have to have a PhD to change my community. Come on. I don't have to have 12 12 letters after my name to make an imprint on history. And more than that, to make an imprint on eternity. Think about that. So the first thing we need to look at is that Philip was an ordinary guy. Now, there was three things specifically that jumped out to me about this passage, and I want to just go through one at a time. Notice in verse 8, it says that there was great joy in the city. Let's start here for a second, okay? There was great joy in the city. Look at what happened in the city of Samaria when the authentic gospel was preached. Look what happened. I want to submit to you this morning that only one of two things happen when the gospel is preached and demonstrated in a community. 
People either run from it or they run to it. <laughs> Think about that for a second. When you're preaching the gospel, and, and, and I, I add demonstrating in there too, because I believe in Jesus' day, you didn't just preach the gospel, you demonstrated it. In the book of Acts, there was demonstration that followed the preaching of the word. Amen. It wasn't just, let me stand up and give you a nice soliloquy. Let me stand up and give you a bunch of flowery words and then go on my way. No, there was demonstration. People said, oh, wow, this gospel's real because when they preach it, God shows up. When they preach it, something weird happens. The presence of the Lord comes and things begin to happen. Bodies begin to get fixed and people's lives begin to come back together and the, the shattered pieces of humanity get built back together when the gospel is preached. That's why I call it the authentic gospel because, uh, listen, if we're not ready to demonstrate the gospel, we haven't fully gotten a hold of it yet. Amen. Thank you for that thundering silence. If we, <laughs> if we, have, not, if we have not started to demonstrate the gospel yet, then we have more to get a hold of. Amen. Now, we'll talk more about that in just a second, but Notice that there was great joy in the city. People either run to the gospel or they run from it. You remember when Jesus, I think I mentioned this last week. You remember when Jesus went to the, to the city of Gadara, or Gadara, some call it, and the, the demoniac came running from the tombs, and he was naked and had broken chains on him, and he was wiling out, as the kids would say. He's wiling out. And Jesus, you know, you remember the story, casts out the demon from him and he goes into all the pigs and the pigs jump over the cliff and, you know, their whole economy went belly up in that moment. And uh, I like one guy made a joke about the deviled ham. All the, all the demonized pigs ran off the cliff. Um, yeah, some of you will get that tonight while you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed. Amen. <laughs> but Jesus sees this man clothed and in his whole wholeness of mind and his sound mind, the Bible says. And what's interesting is the city comes to Jesus and asks him to leave. And to me, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. That once a person got free, the people got nervous. As long as he was demonized and, you know, eating cats and dogs and running around in the, you know, naked in the tombs, the city was okay with it. Oh, that's just Billy. He does what he does. You know, no problem. Just leave him alone. But once he was whole and complete, the people saw a demonstration of God. And I think that demonstration actually frightened them and they asked Jesus to leave. The thing I notice, the contrast of that here in Samaria is here was a city that was ready for the presence of God. Here was a city that understood their need for the presence of God so that when God showed up, there was actually joy in the city. Now this brings me to the first point. And that is number one, God knew what the city needed. God knew exactly what Samaria needed. We often think that we know what our community needs most, but how many of you know God really knows what our community needs? We think we know what our community needs, and, and, and here's why. This is one of the reasons anyway I, I was thinking about this. One of the reasons we think we know what our community needs is because we tend to see and relate to individual challenges within the community that we're exposed to. So maybe it's your next door neighbor whose son has a problem with drugs. And so you see that every single day. And so you think, gosh, we got a drug problem in our community. 
and or you see, you know, a family member who's got a problem with this or whatever the case may be, and we see all these pieces of humanity that are fragmented. We see the brokenness of people around us, and we start to think, and it's not a bad thing, but we start to think, oh, we we got a this kind of problem in Boone. We got a that kind of problem in Boone. Oh, we've got, you know, we got uh, too too many, uh, you know, premarital pregnancies in Boone, or we've got too many kids on drugs in Boone, or we've got this kind of problem or that or whatever. And I think what God invites us to do is to take a step back and get a big picture of what the needs of our community really are. You see, it's imperative that the vision of our church and any church be God's vision for our community. That's what I'm driving at here. It's very important that our vision be God's vision, that we're, we're consistent and in line with what the Spirit of God wants in our community because at the end of the day, He knows exactly how to see joy in our city. God knew that when he sent Philip down to Samaria that there were, that there were uh, paralyzed and lame people. He knew that there were possessed people, and he sent Philip to deal with that issue. And I believe what God is inviting us to do is to catch his heart for our community so that we can adequately represent him in our community. God wants us to know, this is my heart for Boone. This is my heart for Watauga County. Take my heart into the community and begin to release joy into the city. You follow what I'm saying? And that goes beyond just our own assessment of what we think is wrong with our place. You know, I, I, Tim sent me this uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it was a, a picture, a little cartoon, and it was, it was like a line at the DMV, and there was two windows, and one on the left was complaints, and the other one on the right said gratitude, and there was no line for gratitude, and there was a long line for complaints, and it was just such a good graphic, I was like, man, that's powerful. But you know, it made me think, we take our own opinions of the world around us, and we form our own brand of complaints around that. God, you know, I just wish, I just wish, you know, oh, you know, brother, town of Boone. Oh, you know, the town of Boone, we, you know, something, something bad happens. We go, oh, well, you know, police here in the town of Boone just suck. You know, I just don't know what to say. Ah, town of Boone. We make complaints and we, we, we cast judgment on our own communities based on our experiences. But those don't necessarily reflect God's heart for the community. He knows what our city needs. Amen. And it's imperative for us that the vision of our church be God's vision because God has a vision for every single community. He has a vision for every village, every town, every city, every church, every community, every person. God's got a vision for them. Amen? And God's vision for communities can be summed up, I believe, in a handful of verses from the Gospels. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I just want to share with you a couple of quick verses. The first one is from John chapter 10, verse 10. You'll remember Jesus speaking here, and he says, The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God's idea, God's vision, God's plan for a community is life and life abundantly. Man, if I, if I had to boil down God's d entire will for humanity, I would, put, I would boil it down to that verse. 
abundant life. What did God create you for? Abundant life. What is God's will for you? Abundant life. What is God's plan for your family? Abundant life. What is God's plan for your children? Abundant life. Glory to God. He's given us abundant life. Next, he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, Luke chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, this is Jesus talking, eat such things as are set before you. I want my kids to get a hold of that verse. Hallelujah. Eat whatever's put in front of you, bless God. Glory. Hallelujah. Verse 9, watch this. Heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. The second thing I would say that is God's God's desire, God's vision for a community is that the community know, first, that he wants them to have abundant life. Secondly, that the kingdom of God is present. Jesus, this is Jesus sending out 70 disciples into the community and he tells them very plainly, go into a city and tell them the kingdom of God's here. I believe that when you and I leave the, leave the doors of this facility and we go outside of the four walls, as they say, that we ought to be carrying this message with us. That we, be ought, we ought to be declaring it to people. Hey, guys, the kingdom of God is here. When you're standing in line at Walmart, the kingdom of God is in Walmart. When you're, when you're paying your bill at the restaurant today after you eat lunch, the kingdom of God is in your booth. Amen. Glory to God. When you're getting your tires put on your car, the kingdom of God is in the lobby uh, wherever you get your tires put on. This is an announcement that we're called to make to the world around us that guess what? The kingdom of God is here. Amen. God's rulership, his dominion, his domain is established in Boone, North Carolina. And then number three, Matthew chapter nine. Watch this. One of my favorites. I say that, but they're really all my favorite. Jesus, in Matthew 9, verse 35, he says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There it is again. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What's the third thing that we see on Jesus' heart when it comes to cities and communities? It's compassion and miracles. Compassion and miracles. Now, I could take an hour and talk to you about how compassion and miracles are tied together. If you don't love people, you ain't never going to get them healed. Amen. But we won't go there for, for time's sake. But look at those three things. God wants, us to, wants our community to know that there's a promise of abundant life. There's a promise of the kingdom of God being present. And there's a promise that there's somebody who loves them with compassion and has a desire to see the miraculous happen in their life. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Amen. God has a vision for every single community. He knows exactly what the city needs. Now, the second point, are you doing okay this morning? Y'all still with me? The second point is that Philip knew what to preach. 
Or we could say it this way, Philip knew who to preach. Notice what it says here in verse 7, Acts chapter 8. I got to get back over there. Hold on one second. This is like a Bible drill when you're in grade school, you know. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 6, excuse me. Actually, it was verse 5. Sorry about that. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and what? Preached Christ to them. Why did Philip have such a great response? Why was there such a great outpouring of the love of God in Samaria? It's because Philip knew what to preach. Remember, point one was God knew what the city needed. Point number two is Philip knew what to preach, or we should say who to preach. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Notice Philip didn't preach the dogma of the day. Notice Philip didn't preach a political message. Notice Philip didn't preach his opinion. It's awfully quiet in here. Philip didn't preach any of these things. He preached one message, and that was Christ. Philip knew exactly what to preach. The key to seeing God's will accomplished in our city is extremely dependent on what, or more importantly, who we preach. Glory to God. You want to have great success? You want to see the the church expand and grow? What do we need to do? We need to preach Christ. This is not the time for us to herald our own opinions. This is not the time for us to only preach what is socially acceptable. This is not the time for us to only, uh, you know, lie back in the weeds and preach what's easy. Amen. Glory to God. Not the time to preach what's easy. It's time to preach what's true. Because the Bible says that the truth will make you free. So the, the, the amount of liberty that you and I experience in our lives is dependent on the amount of truth that we understand in our hearts. Amen. The amount of truth that you and I understand is directly dependent or directly connected to the amount of freedom and liberty that we have in our lives. Anybody as, as free as they could be or could you be a little freer in your life? I think all of us could raise our hand, right? We could all be a little freer in life. That means we could all use a little more of the truth in our lives. Oh, amen. Philip went down to Samaria and he knew what to preach. He preached Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read it to you off the screen in the New King James, and then I'm going to read it to you in a couple other translations. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 And verse 28, watch this, verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, him we preach. Look at that. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. What's the first three words of that verse? Him we preach. Him we preach. Not here to make a big deal of ourselves. 
We're here to make a big deal about Jesus. How many of you know that this is all about Jesus? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. We preach him. Now, watch this in the Message Bible. The message says, this mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is this, Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. Watch this. That is the substance of of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. Wow. I love sometimes the way like the message or or new living breaks it down a little bit for us. Look at what he says there. We preach Christ. This is the substance of our message. If you want to have results in your communication of the gospel to people, keep it on point. Make it about Jesus. Hello. If you want to see people get saved, keep it about Jesus. Don't venture off, you know, as much as you can, don't venture off into all kind of side, you know, discussions. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. This is about Christ and him crucified. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're not going to go there for time, but he said, when I came to you, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom. But they were in demonstration of the power of God. He said, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Watch this Colossians 1. Check this out from the Passion Translation. Living with you, excuse me, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for God's people and God wants everyone to know know it. Verse 28, Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. I love that line from there that Christ in you and I is a treasure chest of hope. Glory to God. I want, hello, do you understand you have a treasure chest of heavenly hope living on the inside of you? That everywhere you go, you are the answer to the problem. Selah. You'll say, well, pastor, you just said that Christ was the answer to the problem. Yes, he totally is, but he sent you in his place and he loaded you up with himself and put you in a situation where now you have the ability to empty out the treasure chest of hope, which is Christ in you onto the world around you. Folks, we are a church of hope. We are a church of hope because we have the greatest message. We have the greatest uh, doctrine. We have the greatest thing that humanity needs, which is the message of the hope of Jesus Christ. Why did Philip have success in Samaria? Because he preached Christ to them. Keep the main thing the main thing. If I had time, I would talk about political conversations right now. But I don't have time to talk about it. 
there are little mini quiches that are going to be eaten after the service is over, and I don't want to delay. Guys, we have a treasure chest of the hope of Christ in us, and our city needs it. Why was there joy in Samaria? As the Bible says, there was joy in the city. Why? Because Philip preached Christ to them. It's so simple. It's so simple, and we make it so difficult sometimes. It's about everything that God has done in you being proclaimed to the people around you. And then God begins to change lives, and God gets the glory for it. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Why did Paul live his whole life? Why did he die for the sake of the cross? Because he understood the potency of the message that he was carrying. Philip had great success because he preached Christ. Paul had great success because he preached Christ. Let me give you this little thought in passing and then we'll get on to the, to the end of the message. Here's, a, here's another side thought on what it means for, for Philip to preach Christ. Philip preached Christ because he had mastered the art of imitation. When it came time to do ministry, Philip just did what he'd seen Jesus do for three and a half years. I know that, you know, they always say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And in our culture, when we imitate somebody, it's usually like not a positive thing. Like, you know, hey, man, don't, don't copy me. My kids fight over copying each other, you know. Y'all ever have your kids do that? Like, I want to go to the bathroom. I want to go to the bathroom. No, stop copying me. Stop copying me. You know, y'all know how that goes. I did that to my sister all the time. In our world, imitation is a terrible thing. In the kingdom, when it comes to ministry, imitation is the best. Paul says, imitate me as I've imitated Christ. How did Philip preach Christ to them? He simply went into the city and did what he knew Jesus would do if he was there. He just watched, he had just finished watching Jesus' best hits for three and a half years. Okay? He had that album uh, on repeat. Jesus' greatest hits day after day after day, watching the master do all kinds of amazing things. So what did Philip do? Went into Samaria and just did the same thing. Well, what would Jesus do if he was here? Cast out a demon? Okay, let's give it a try. And he did it, and it worked. Imitating Jesus is the best way to do ministry. There's only one catch. You have to have been with Jesus first. (laughs) Selah. You have to have spent some time with the master first. All right, on to point number three so I can wrap this up and we can eat those delicious mini quiches. Number one was that God knew what the city needed. Number two was that Philip knew who to preach. Number three is this, the devil knew where to go. Amen? The devil knew where to go. I didn't get any kind of amens out of that, and I thought I would, but that's all right. The devil knew where to go. I'm going to tell you a secret. The devil doesn't have a right to hang out when you tell him to leave. Amen. This is, this is a secret. It's not really a secret, but it's a secret that I wish more people knew and understood. The enemy, 
doesn't have a right to stick around when you tell him where to go. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? You look back at this chapter that we've been looking at in Acts 8 and verse 7. It says, unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in the city. God knew what the city needed. Philip knew exactly what to preach and the devil knew exactly where to go when he was told to go. He doesn't have a choice. I want you to get a hold of that in your life, in your family, in your business, in your job, in in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Get a hold of this truth that the devil doesn't have a right to disobey you. (laughs) The devil doesn't have a right to disobey you. When you tell him to go, he has to go. When you lay hands on your little babies because they're sick and you say, sickness, get off of this child in Jesus' name, sickness doesn't have a choice but to bend its knee to the name of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was given the name above every other name. He was highly exalted above the rest and given the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that he is Lord. Glory to God. The devil doesn't have a choice to stick around your house when you tell him to go. Jesus, I'll close with this. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, all authority in all of heaven and earth has been given to me. Let me ask you a question. If I I was to when they bring up those delicious mini quiches, if I was to take the tray and take all of the quiches with me, how many would there be for you? None. Because I took them all. I guess this is like first grade stuff, okay? This is how easy God makes the gospel for us. I took all the quiches, so that means there's none for you. If Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. How much is left, class, for the devil? None. Big goose egg. Nada. Zilch. Zippo. Nine. Okay? None. That means that when you do what James says in James 4, and you submit to God, and you resist the devil, he does not have a choice. There is no authority that Satan possesses over your life. That is one of the most liberating things that you and I can know and understand. That the devil doesn't have power over you anymore. You see, we think, and I'm closing with this, we think that because we gave because we gave into temptation and we sinned or we think that because we we transgressed or we did something wrong that now because of that the devil has a right to do something in my life how many of you have ever thought that way by show of hands all of us right how many of you have ever thought oh man i fought with my wife i just gave the devil the right to come into my house and mess with me i just gave the devil the right to come into my marriage no You didn't. 
You just gave them access. There's a difference between access and authority. If I leave the front door of my house open and a thief comes in my living room, I've given him access, but he still doesn't have a right to be there. Do you see the difference? See, a lot of us think that because, because we sinned, because we told a lie, because we succumbed to temptation in any way, in any form of, of sin in our life, because I messed up yesterday, uh, the devil's now got a right to hang out in my house. Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. I may have given him access. He'll never have a right to be there. The devil, I love what my friend Aaron Jones says. He says, the devil is a squatter. He's a squatter. Evict him. Everywhere he goes, he doesn't have a right to be there. Amen. That means when pain and disease rears its ugly head in your house, you have a right to tell it to go, and it does not have a right to fight back. Glory to God. There's so many tweets coming out of the message today. There's so many great things. I Praise God. Hallelujah. Philip went down to Samaria. And he had so much success there. Probably for more than just these three reasons, but these were the three that jumped out at me. Because God knew exactly what Samaria needed. Because Philip knew exactly what to preach when he got there. And because the devil knew exactly where to go when Philip preached. I want to tell you that it's no different for Watauga County. It's no different for Ash, for Avery, for Caldwell. It's no different for Boone. It's no different for Banner Elk or Fosco or West Jefferson or Deep Gap. It's no different for our community. It's no different for Blowing Rock. What God did in Samaria, he'll do here as long as he finds people who are willing to trust him and to believe and go the distance and say, yeah, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Yeah, maybe it feels like it's maybe it, maybe it feels like I'm climbing uphill with a 500-pound backpack on. But I'll go, God. Maybe it feels like there's opposition and everything is standing between me and the place God wants me to be. I'm here to tell you greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The things that are coming against you don't stand a chance to the one who lives in you. Glory to God. I'm going to say that one more time. The things coming against you don't stand a chance to the one that's living on the inside of you. He is greater. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why when we're playing and Leslie's playing, Danny's playing, I'm playing, we're singing. That's why we say, hey, let's lift up our hands and worship. Why? Because we, we understand that there's somebody on the inside of us who is greater than us, who is greater than our problems, who's greater than everything and every challenge that we face. And it's our delight and it's our joy to worship him and give him credit because he's awesome. He's all-powerful. He is mighty. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Why don't you stand to your feet? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.